What's up everybody, in this video, we're gonna talk about the 10 reasons you may not want to move to Toronto. I've lived here for the last 27 years, so I'm very familiar with all of that. I'm also a licensed agent here and I work with tons of clients who relocate from all over the place, so I hear the common things that they don't like when they move here and also some of the things that they do. So in this video, we're gonna break down all of that for you, so make sure you stay tuned. So it's like, you wanna have like a hook that keeps their like, they feel like they should stay because they're gonna get a lot of value. Let's go. Welcome. So uh, I'm here here with uh, Eric Preston. He is a really awesome guy. I actually uh, got to know him fairly recently, and uh, he's he ended up speaking with uh, with our audience at Street Text and just blowing their mind with value and uh, just huge amount of uh, of giving. And I think that. What's really cool about Eric is he comes across as a very humble guy, but you realize he's an incredible expert in uh, in in YouTube, in Google Ads, and is really helping people uh, own their own acquisition funnels. And I think this is really cool. So I, yeah. So without um, without much more, Eric, uh, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit and uh, and maybe share you know, where where are you living these days? Cool. Yeah. So. I mean, you want to give it, give you the long story? Sure. <laughs> so, yeah, today, I mean, I live, I split my time between uh, Mexico and Portugal. So uh, we're looking at building a home down here in the state of Oaxaca, uh, down in Mexico, um, in a place called Huatuco. So that's kind of where we're at these days. Um, and then we're going to be living in uh, Portugal during the more closer to the summer months. So that's kind of where I'm at now. And it, I mean, if you ask like, kind of how I got here, I have to go all the way back to 2017 when I got this, uh, I was leaving the bar industry. I, uh, I'd been a bartender, bar manager for some years. And uh, I think I learned a lot and came out of my shell going through that journey and especially in a social and sales sense. Um, and then, yeah, I got a job at a real estate marketing agency and I didn't really know if that's what I wanted to do yet. Um, but I saw it as a big opportunity. I was hire number 19. Um, and a really big milestone for me that happened recently was we surpassed that number at agent launch, which has been really, really cool for me. So I was hired 19. I was super, super motivated to get into the world of tech and marketing and things like that. So I just, I was hired under the sales team. I, I worked my butt off and, um, you know, it was only, I think seven or eight months later, the CEO, after I'd kind of been leading the sales team as their number one, uh, closer, I'm was given by the COO an opportunity to take over her one of her jobs, which was to actually go out to real estate brokerages and present to their agents on how to run Facebook ads. And so uh, she gave this to me as an opportunity to turn it into like a full-time job. And that's what I did. And I did a whole bunch of unique things. We started running Facebook ads to brokers, to book uh, sessions in offices. Um, I started a Facebook page for it. I started collecting reviews. I started prospecting with video and like doing all these things that a lot of people weren't doing. Um, and I got to a point where I was booking, I was doing four or five per week in person sessions. And I was driving from Vancouver down to Seattle, down to Tacoma, down to Portland. I'd fly down to California. <laughs> like I was flying Alberta. I was like, and at the time at the peak I had, um, we had a sales team of, I think, 17. And what I was doing was generating 35% of top line revenue for the company. And so that's that's kind of where I really refined my skills as like a presenter and really learned a lot 
in real estate marketing from some great people at that company who taught me the ropes and I was really pushed to um, learn a lot. And then at, at a certain point, me and another top sales guy, we started getting our real estate licenses in, in secret uh, on weekends. And so we were, we were studying, studying, studying after work on weekends. We both got our real estate licenses. We started a real estate team together. Uh, we had success right away using a lot of the marketing stuff that we had been uh, learning at that company. And uh, we started running Facebook ads and Google ads, and we started making sales. And um, then we also decided to start our own agency. So we started our own agency targeting brokers, helping them recruit agents. That grew into us creating a course on Google PPC and helping agents run their own Google ads. Um, that all evolved over time. And uh, we ended up having slightly different interests. And um, he ended up starting a, a YouTube channel on investing in Tesla. And I kind of stayed the course and started a, an actual agents done for you agency. And so that that evolved from when we started. We just started doing Google ads and we got really, really great at that. And that's really what I'm known for a lot of the time in the space, because that's kind of where the course started. Then we added an ISA element, but it was more done for you. And so we were hiring a team of ISAs. We had about eight of them at the peak. And then they were calling our, our clients leads um, and booking them appointments, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then we realized with that model, there was a big problem. And this is one of the big things I talk and it's one of our core philosophies is like, you need to make sure you're aligning incentives in business. And when we were running our ISA program, we were generating leads and our ISAs were calling them, but we were paying our ISAs for booking calls and doing live transfers. But that doesn't align with the incentive of the agent. The agent wants to sell houses. And so that worked and our business was growing and we had made a really hard decision at Agent Launch to actually pivot and move from less of a renter kind of agency traditional model into more of an ownership model, which is what we're at today, where instead of doing that, we actually build the Google ads in your ad account that you own it. And we also hire the ISAs onto your team. So we recruit them and then we train them and we do a whole bunch of other stuff. But um, that was kind of the pivotal point where we turn into more of an ownership program and then the ISA can be fully aligned in their incentives with the agent on actually closing real estate sales. And so that was a big shift for us. And that's evolved, evolved, evolved over time to where we're at now, you know, with a team of 23 and, you know, 150 active clients. And like, um, yeah, it's been quite a journey, but we're really proud of where we're at today. Um, like I said, when I was hired 19 at the company I used to work for, we just surpassed that. And that meant a lot to me because, to be honest, I never saw myself doing that. And now that I'm here, I can't see myself not doing it, which is kind of funny. <laughs> so there's the long version. <laughs> oh, I love it. It's so cool. And it's, it's funny. We, I, I didn't realize we were, we were so close to like living to each other when you were in Vancouver, because I'm up here in Kelowna, which is very close to Vancouver, uh, at least in Canadian geography. For terms. sure. Uh, so what's, it's that's a pretty cool story, and and it's been a quick rise, I would say. That's a speedy, a very speedy journey. Uh, one of the things that I'm hearing there, which is interesting, is that uh, the, especially that last note where you said aligned incentives. If I, I want to double click on that for a second, just because if you're if you're like a real estate agent listening to this, and you have a team, and you're thinking, okay, how can I align the incentives better around my own team? Maybe I'm. I've got some programs in place and I want to see my uh, agents thrive uh, under me. What would be some things that they could look at and potentially learn from your experience in aligning incentives that would help them to, uh, you know, yeah. really help their team maximize their own potential? 
It's a good question. And like, I think just speaking to your first point on the quick growth, I think one of, one of the reasons is I had developed this skill where I had done 150 webinars or work, probably 120, 130 in-person workshops and probably like 30, 40 webinars when I was doing that role. So I got good at speaking. I got, I refined my public speaking skills and that translated really well into YouTube. And so YouTube was, was what kind of made me successful early on. And I just got really good at YouTube and I was able to transfer that skill. And I'm a huge believer in YouTube and we'll get into more of that, but it's been life-changing for me. And I was able to kind of translate that skill um, quite well. But um, as far as the, your question, like around aligning incentives, I think there's two things. Like for us, what we encourage our agents to do is you pay your ISAs like a base salary, but then you always give them an incentive on the upside of business. Cause like, I'm a big believer in this and there's two ways like we really encourage our clients to do this. So you pay them a base salary, which is more than enough for them to be happy with as is like, I'm a big believer in paying people way over market rate, especially if you're hiring remote, because I think that if it's a great opportunity for them to get really invested with you in the long term, and they feel great, they're making good money. There's a lot of upside opportunity. And to you, it's still a relatively low number. It's still a relatively affordable your business and so that's why we staff a lot of remote talent but what we do is encourage you to pay them a really healthy base salary so even if they made no commission they have a very livable healthy wage that's well above average like more than double um, in most of these markets and then you pay them a really handsome commission on any deals they actually generate and tee up so that they're you and the agent are totally aligned on the end goal like if you're paying your isa 500 bucks a closed deal you know, and you're making 10K a closed deal, then every time you close a deal, both of you have a huge win and you can celebrate together and those incentives are totally aligned. In the other model I was talking about, when they're trying to book appointments, 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 in a lot of cases, these leads need another nine months of nurture, six months of nurture, even three months of nurture. When you have an ISA on your team, you can get them to take part in that nurture. When you have an ISA outsourced to a rental company, a rental agency, as I call it, that that once they transfer that lead, it's generally your lead. You don't send it back. And even if you do send it back, it's not like that person's going to nurture them very well for nine months. So that's an example for our clients. As far as our company, I have a lot to say on this too, because this is something I, I plan to create a lot of content around um, uh, in years to come. But there, there's very few people on our team that don't have some kind of financial upside or incentive. Um, our, I would say our average rate we pay our team is well over double what their market rate would be in, in some cases. Um, and there's generally some always some financial upside because I believe that like it, when you grow and someone's on just a, just an hourly rate, growth means more work for them. Growth means I'm going to have to do more and have more responsibility and sometimes have more stress. But if there's a financial benefit in growth for them, then everyone can get excited together about that growth. And I think that's what makes a culture really special um, when everyone can kind of take part in the growth and the success of what, what we're all building to together. Because at the end of the day, it's not me building this. It's it's everyone. Like we're all involved in it. Um, that, that, okay. You've made so many good points. Um, I would love to understand a little bit more on two things. The first, the first one I, I, I really get the whole uh, aligning the incentive of growth because sometimes people don't like it, it, it may not seem like immediately logical, but it, you know, sometimes the outcomes that we're looking for when we're looking to grow our, our business, literally, like you said, means more work for someone else. 
And one of the things that we do as well in our team is we try to cultivate a culture of scale. And what that means is thinking about your job from rather than a, a security, which is I want to be busy so that I have a job guaranteed, but think about it more as in how do I create efficiency internally in what I'm doing? Look for opportunities where we can leverage um, systems and or work with the engineering team to figure out, okay, you know what, if I could take these three, four tasks and automate it or find a way of, of uh, building it directly into the, into the system, then I might be able to save 20 hours a week, which I now have available as we grow. And so that's one of the things that I always think about too, is, is leveraging, um, helping the team look for it as well, because you can do it in so many ways, like as support. If, you, if you're answering the same question, you know, three or four times, that's a huge opportunity to write that down as an article, because now that's something that you can uh, you can replicate. You don't have to think about it again and again. It's the same with managing comments in Facebook ads, because Facebook ads get a lot of comments. And sometimes there's two or three comments that are being asked the same question, but in different ways. And if you can just figure out what those are, then you've got... The, you, so basically, the idea there is, as well, is, is thinking, okay, how can I use this... Um, this career path is an opportunity to learn from this this um, growth expansion that we're going through and see it as something that is beneficial because now I'm going to have so much more that I'll get to um, to gain from this experience. And I, I really love the idea of, of, of put, tying that into uh, commission incentives like what you're talking about there. But I want to double click on the mindset there because you're, you said you're paying everybody more than market salary. Is that because you're you're like you said you you we want them to feel but is that because you're a really nice guy? Are you just really generous? Like where what's the what's the core mindset behind that? I I just have a I think I have a very different way of doing things and a very different philosophy than than most people. And like like I'm in a men's group for entrepreneurs. When I showed them our our financial breakdown of what I'm how I'm incentivizing people, they thought I was crazy. But you know to me, I, I think it really works. Like everyone, I want everyone on my team to make far more than they could elsewhere. And I also want them to be far happier than they could be elsewhere. And I want them to have far more up, more upward mobility than they could elsewhere. And what you get out of that is a, a big investment in, in the growth and the end goal. And for me, that's really worked. And like, um, so, so yeah, I, I, I really, really do believe in that. Um, I don't want to approach it as a selfish thing. Like, I think a lot of people get caught up in doing that. But um, for me, I love that everyone can take part in the growth. And we like to promote fast. We like to promote um, when people show that they're invested and that they can handle it. I, I love to give people ownership and opportunity. That's really important is like, hey, this is what I need from you. And you're going to own that. And I find when you give people ownership and, and an investment in the upside of what they're doing, you get a very high output. And everyone wins because they're super stoked to have ownership and not be micromanaged. And they're super stoked to have the title that they might have and the pay rate that they might have that you get a disproportionate return. In my opinion, in, in a lot of my competitors, I see this all the time. They're like, Oh, I'm going through sales reps like crazy. Or I'm going through account managers like crazy and people keep quitting. I'm like, well, I swear on this podcast. Uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I get passionate. I just need to, I'm like, well, how are you fucking treating them? <laughs> you know, like um, that's that, that's what it comes down to at the end of the day is like, how are you treating your team? Because we deal with this with our clients a lot is like 
oh, like, you know, my ISA left, for example. I'm like, well, how often were you meeting with them? Or, you know, you should be meeting with them every day. You should be like making them feel good, that they have an opportunity, making them feel like there's an upside, like working with them, making them feel like they're improving their skill set. Like, like there's so much that goes into leadership, I think, that people underestimate. And um, I genuinely feel if you, like people don't leave companies, they leave people. And if you aren't that person that's going to keep people around and give people opportunity and allow them to grow, like, like I think it's kind of crazy. If you look at my company, the, the average age of the people that work with us um, and their titles and their income, if you, if I broke that all down for you on a spreadsheet, you'd, you'd be very probably surprised. But if I broke down for you the intelligence and output and buy-in of these people and the things that they're doing, you'd also be really impressed. Yeah, no, that's that's really cool. Now, is there, like, when you look back at your life and your personal career, was there a moment where you saw this being done really well? Or did you see something that was like, okay, this maybe is broken and I think I could do this differently? The second. I think that I've always, the reason I didn't work well in the workforce, like, I remember when I was I was applying for jobs, when I was trying to really leave the the bar industry and get into like the more professional world because I was like managing bars and nightclubs for years. And, um, I, I really was motivated. And I remember like someone would look at my resume and be like, why did you move from job to job so often? And this was my average time at a job was like a year, maybe a year and a half. Um, I think the longest job I ever had was two years. Um, so I moved around like, and and it, it came from a constant frustration of the way things were done. And this probably was my young ego a little bit for sure saying like, I think we could do things better. And I was always trying to make things better, but then you'd get like, you'd get like stifled by management. Right. And you'd be like, no, 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 no. Little, little guy. Like, it's don't it's do the, that. the entrepreneurial dilemma. Like literally yeah. you're like carrying around, you're, you're walking in the store and you're like, why, why is there stickers on apples? Has <laughs> <laughs> totally. thought about a different way. Yeah. And, I, and that's just the way my brain works is like problem solving. And like the, the, the company I was working for, the real estate marketing agency, that was the first company I ever worked for that gave me full ownership around something. And what did I do with that ownership? Well, I took it and I did it my own way. And then it became wildly successful. As it grew and became more and more successful, they started putting a little bit of rules around it and things around it. And then I felt a little like, I was like, kind of like, you know, bull in a cage in a, in a sense. I'm like, no, I want to do things differently. And I want to, and they did give me a lot of independence and I showed them that that was the right call. And I think ever since I experienced that and learned that about myself, I realized that I always wanted to be that way to the team I created. I always wanted to be that. I never wanted to be that like micromanagey, like too many expectations, like um, putting too many like, you know, boundaries around someone. I'm like, I'm like, here's what I need you to do. Go, go do it. And, and they'll, they will show you very quickly if they're capable or not. And like, we've been very fortunate that, um, we've never had someone quit and we've only ever had to let go of one person. And so okay. I think that's, that was my next question. Okay. So when they're capable, what do you do? And then when they, when they're, um, unable to achieve the task, what do you do? Well, when they're capable, I think you need to communicate positive reinforcement. I think that you need to let them know that you think they're doing a great job because everyone loves hearing that. It's like, Hey, like, I really appreciate you. Um, like I was just, I was just on a call. I'll just say that I was on a call with my VP of growth, like 
10 minutes before this call and we were talking about how much we appreciated each other. And I was like, <laughs> and, and like, we're, we're going through a lot of growth and change on the sales team right now. So like, there's a lot happening. Like we just hired, you know, three or four people and we're hiring another. And it's like, and so like, there's a lot moving right now. And he just like took a minute to say, Hey, I really, really am glad I met you. And I was like, I'm really glad I met you too. So for, first of all, I think like acknowledging people when they're doing something well, but also not being afraid to like say, where they can improve. Cause I think people like to know what's expected of them um, and how they can be better. But, but I think you need to focus on reinforcing the things they're doing well, because that makes people appreciative and motivated. Um, and I think people don't do that enough. Like honestly, especially men, I think men just have a, a harder time communicating in some cases. And I think that's something that everyone needs to work on is like, um, and that's why I'm in men's groups and stuff, stuff like that. Like that's really important to me. And so um, I think communicating when someone's doing well and using positive reinforcement is a, a win-win tool for everyone. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I feel like it's such a low-hanging fruit. Oh, sorry if you hear my, uh, <laughs> my kids are, are upstairs and they're about to head to school, but it sounds like okay. <laughs> things may be unraveling. That's, that's work from home life, man. It's, it's, it's all good. <laughs> that is, You know, it's funny. I have... Um, so we have a space in the office that we're setting up for podcasting. But right now, it turns out that this room is just so much better audio quality. So I've been using it. This, this moment is. Um, How's my audio quality, by the way? I don't think we checked that. It seems good. We'll find out. The um, <laughs> <laughs> It seems good. Uh, the, but on that, on that question, so, so then what, how do you process it when things don't go well? Like uh, when, when you've, you've set an assignment and you're looking back and you're thinking, okay, how do I give feedback on this and, and course correct? What's your approach there? Well, that's, that's something I'm working on getting better at. Um, I've been very fortunate, to be honest with you. Um, I learned a lot about early on about trusting my gut when, when hiring someone. And I've, I've been very validated in that. Um, there was like, there was only one example where I like kind of moved on to someone when I didn't have a good gut feeling. And that's the person I, we ended up letting go. And, um, that was quite a long time ago, like over a year now. And, um, so I've, I've been very fortunate that I, I've had a lot of great people join us and, um, we've made good hiring decisions. And so I haven't had to have as many of those conversations as maybe I should. And I'll admit that. I think that's one, one area I can probably, probably grow. And so I'm, I'm probably not the foremost expert on, on that specifically, but I'm getting better at, at telling people what I expect and want. And I think the key for me has been, and I had a great conversation about this with um, one of my key members of our leadership team around, like, it was kind of like, I don't need help. I need ownership. It's like, tell me what you want and give me ownership around doing it. And that was a really key moment for me because I was like, oh, okay, I get it. Like, um, it's not like I want this, let's do it together or whatnot. It's like, Hey, this is what I want. And this is my vision. I need you to like bring that to life. Um, and then if something isn't right, I'll just say, Hey, like, I think this could be better. And I think we could improve this. And at the end of the day, I find the feedback I get, like, there's a part of me that's always scared to like be overly critical. Uh, cause I think that's cause I didn't like when people were like that way with me. Um, but I'm finding like a healthy balance of how to do that. And just, I think it's important to say, when you don't like something or when you think something could be better and not just let it slide. And so I'm getting better at like setting the expectation of like, Hey, this is what I want and this is what I need. And this is the standard we need to do things to. 
Um, so that, that's definitely an area of growth for me, I'll be honest. I, from what I'm hearing, it sounds like you're really good at it. So uh, <laughs> wait, sometimes um, the areas that we're like best at, those are the areas we really invest in growth. So that's good. Um, that you think about like a star athlete, they're going to be investing their time to improve in the area that they're, they're the best of the world in. Um, and it sounds like you're actually very good at that. So, uh, that is fascinating. So you've got this, and it's one thing I, I like respect from you about you, even as we've worked together, as I've seen things that you've been providing and it's like, wow, this, you're very good. You're, you're very organized and you seem to be doing a good job of communicating with your team and you do a good job of communicating with us as well. So that's, you've got a, you've got a good way of seeming to, um, be clear with what you're saying, but then distilling it down into a framework that other people can uh, implement and execute on. And that's a great, that's a really great um, skill to have developed. So uh, let's dive a little bit into uh, into YouTube. I'm, uh, I'd love to pick your, your brain a little bit more on that. So you're absolutely killing it on YouTube. Your channel's doing great. I was just there. You, your videos are great. Uh, if If you're... If someone was thinking about starting a YouTube channel today, or maybe they've been kind of playing around with it, but they've never really dove in seriously in it, but now is the time for them. They're looking at 2023 and they're thinking, this is the year I want to really invest in this. Why is it at the right time? Why video? Why now? Uh, or, and when is the right time? When, when would you say maybe pause this? <clears throat> well, I, I think now is the right time. Like, it, like if I were to fly home, obviously I don't live uh, back home right now, but if I were to fly home and do real estate, I'd be all in on TikTok and YouTube, um, specifically YouTube though. Um, and so I think now is the right time because you're, you're starting to see it catch on. Um, like more, more and more people are starting to do it. And I think that's because the opportunity is very big with YouTube because a lot of people are so scared of YouTube. They're like, I can make an Instagram video, but tick or YouTube seems like too much work. And that's not, that's not false. Like YouTube does take more work, but the net end benefit of creating a YouTube video that, you know, like you, you'll go do a YouTube search and everyone's experienced this. You do a YouTube search and you click on a, the first video and you realize it was published two years ago. You're like, wow, this video has been getting views for two years. And that very realistically will happen with YouTube is your, the amount of time, the, the longevity of one production lasts a very long time. So the net return you get from one production, yes, it's more of an investment to create it, but you get way more out of it long term. And so, I mean, YouTube is so unique in so many ways that it, people always like to say it's about subscribers and it's some, it's like social media, but it's, it's a totally different animal. Um, you know, you can link to your YouTube videos really easily when people are on YouTube, they're in like a watch now mode. When people are on social media, they're in like a, I'm bored killing time on my lunch break mode. Um, and so you have to address the platform that you're on. And so I, I think YouTube has it's slowly replacing TV, for example. Like I, I genuinely feel like our generation and the generation behind us is like, they're going to be watching YouTube. They're not going to be watching cable, uh, you know? And so I think that YouTube, even though it's massive, it's, it's only going to get bigger. And I think that the, the barrier to entry, at least in most people's minds, is very big to YouTube. And that creates a big opportunity because there's not that many people doing it. Like, how many, how many, how many agents are doing Instagram? Like everyone, but like how many agents, you know, doing YouTube at least reasonably well, very few. And so 
there's a big opportunity in that. Yeah, that, that makes total sense. And you know what I was thinking, the analogy, as you were sharing about YouTube, it almost reminds me of, it's like the listing agent. The idea of being a listing agent is that if you have like a, a ton of listings in a market, those listings start to act like a net. Because the more listings you have, the more inquiries you get over time, you know, maybe each listing is only going to get two or three, you know, inquiries a month or whatever it is, depending on how fast the market is. But if you have 30 listings, that adds up pretty quick. And so it's the same thing with with YouTube videos. What you're describing there is you've got a video and it's it's lasting two years and you're still getting viewers. You're still getting people watching it. It's like having a whole ton of inventory out there that's drawing people's attention. And then they're meeting and getting introduced to you, which is such a powerful net, uh, which is then amplifying your business. That yeah, makes I mean, total sense. Like my YouTube channel gets 100 to 200 views per hour generally. Wow. So that's, that's great. It's crazy when you, when you extrapolate that out to like, imagine 100 to 200 people are watching whatever you're saying, listen to whatever you're saying every hour, regardless of what you do in your day. It's like high, high leverage. Uh, social media doesn't work like that. You stop posting on Instagram, people stop seeing you. Um, YouTube, the more videos you make, the more compounding effect it has. They start, now you have, you say you have 50 videos on different keywords and different subjects. Now you're capturing all this search activity from all these different keywords. And then someone's watching this video and then they finish it and they're like, I like that video. And they click on your end screen card or, or your, they go to your channel and they watch another video and they watch another video. And this, you know, I coach our clients on YouTube every week. That's my biggest role in our, our coaching program. And I see this all the time is it's like, it just compounds and compounds and compounds. And you get to a point when you start getting leads, because uh, it does take time uh, and energy. It's not easy. But when you start getting leads, the people will say things like, I watched all your videos. I feel like I know you. And like, I've had people say this to me so, so many times, but the quality of leads you get at the end of the day is like, people have already decided they work with you. Unless you totally let them down on that call, they probably already like you and want to work with you. Um, I think so. I, people like underestimate the power of video at this respect. I so agree. one of the things, oh, it's it's crazy. So uh, we we do this mastermind every Wednesday, and and one of the guys on the mastermind, he was sharing this um, how he I don't know he might be investing in YouTube channel as well, um, but in this case, he was just sending video through text message. So. He had a bunch of people that he had been communicating with and he thought, okay, you know what? I'm here. I'm, I'm sitting outside. I'm at a restaurant. I'm just going to do a couple of videos and just share a little bit about what's happening in the market because I'm, I want to connect to them anyways. So he did that. He just filmed these really short videos, like 20 seconds long, and he texts them away. He booked six appointments, six appointments. Uh, he didn't send very many like I think it was like six out of six, basically. And he said that when he went into the appointments, he had already won the listing before he even showed up because they said they felt like they already knew him. That was just a quick video on text message. So the power of video, it, it, you cannot like, like you cannot, it, it's just, it's so compelling. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's such a simple form, but there's something about the brain where you get to see the person, hear them, can, it just connects the dots. And so then they get to know who you are. And like you said, they, they come in feeling like they already know you. Totally. Now it can be a little bit disarming, right? Because now then they meet you and you're like, wait, I don't know you yet. <laughs> well, this, is, this is one of the great things about YouTube specifically is like if you start, and this is what we teach our clients all the time is like deployment is the thing people miss. 
like, yes, you can create videos and you can host them on YouTube and then you can put them on social media, but how are you deploying them? Like you just said it, texting it to someone can be really powerful. So imagine this, say you're doing like a lot of our clients are doing street text, Facebook ads, and we're running their Google ads. So they're getting a bunch of leads and those leads are going to their website and they're searching for homes for sale. Now imagine you're a consumer and you're searching for homes, let's say Kelowna, let's say West Kelowna, more specific area. Um, and then I text you a video, say, Hey, Jonathan, I noticed you're searching for homes in West Kelowna. I actually just made a video on my favorite neighborhoods in West Kelowna. I thought it might be helpful for you at this stage in your journey. Like how good of a proactive outreach is that? Say, Oh, like why, who wouldn't watch that? <laughs> you know, um, it's like, you're right. I am looking for homes right now in West Kelowna and you just made a helpful video. So I'm going to watch that video. And then next time you call me, I'm probably like, oh, yeah, I watched your video. I thought it was really helpful. And they're super warm with you, right? Because they're in the process of looking for homes, but they're also in the process of shopping around for agents. And how do you stand out? So I think like texting your videos is really, really key. And like one of the things we do is we actually automate that. So your drip campaign texts have your videos in them. Um, but then when you make a new video, we encourage our clients to like proactively send that out to people because you can't really link to like an Instagram video. It's not, it's not like that. You can link to a YouTube video really easily. Um, and it'll live there. It's evergreen. So you can put it in your drip and leave it for two years and know that that video is always going to be there and people can always watch it. Yeah, that's so good. So, um, if you're listening, take note, write that down, go do that. So Matthew Nicholas, he's an agent down in, uh, uh, where's in Winnipeg, I believe. And he, he let, so Winnipeg's a unique city, but he loves this downtown core area so much that he's, he's down there all the time. He gets to know the, um, there's a specific, uh, coffee shop that he just loves, but he also loves the style of the buildings. He loves the, uh, this, the nature of that part of the neighborhood. And because he knows it so well, uh, he, like, I just think, man, this would be a great strategy for him. Because he loves to introduce people to it. Like when he finds out, whenever somebody's like, oh, I'm looking to buy in this part of the neighborhood, he gets really excited because he's like, oh, I love this neighborhood. I want to show you more of it. So I can see that being something as well. If there's a neighborhood that you really love and you're thinking, okay, maybe I can create a video of why I really love this. Maybe introduce them to a few businesses in that neighborhood, places that maybe they haven't even considered checking out because you know, you know it really well. Maybe there's a hike or a walk. You know, sometimes there's like paths between places that are hidden that nobody knows of. Share something that's mm-hmm. cool, maybe surprising. And, uh, and and then you're creating something that's really valuable. But then, of course, if I want to work with someone, I want to work with someone who's as excited about the, the the thing that I'm working towards as I am. And so if I'm trying to find a property in that neighborhood, I want to work with the agent who's really excited about that neighborhood. So I think that's just makes so much sense. It's, uh, it's such a great strategy. So if, so what kind of video should I start with? If I'm thinking about creating, um, YouTube, should I start with those strategy videos or should I be thinking broader? So you shouldn't start with a video. You should start with finding someone on YouTube who's doing it well, who you like and modeling yourself after them. That's what I usually say. Start with finding inspiration. So there's a few, there's quite a few examples these days of, of real estate agents who are killing it on YouTube. And so it's pretty easy to go to their channel and see what videos hit and what videos didn't um, and start with that. But as, as a core philosophy, like be an ambassador where you live and offer value to people um, about where you live. So like showcasing certain areas, talking about the different types of properties and price points, 
um, why you love certain areas over others. What are the pros and cons of living in that area? Because a lot of leads these days, you know, are relocation leads. They're people coming from out of town. So teach them what's different. If you're, if you're looking to focus on sellers, well, make videos like how you can get $50,000 more for your home for a $5,000 investment. Talk about staging and painting and landscaping and basic stuff that, and really try to ch challenge their perspective and sell yourself in that video and say like, hey, this is what we do for all our clients because it nets this type of return. And that's the part of the value we offer. Um, but at, at a broad stroke, just be an ambassador of your area. That could be interviewing businesses. That could be um, just talking about the different neighborhoods, the different areas. And um, you can even use kind of negative bias videos or ones that get a lot of attraction these days. Like how you want to do this is kind of like five things I wish I knew before moving to Kelowna or um, other ones like don't move to Kelowna, BC. <laughs> and then you can still... A lot of people are, are scared to make We, we want to keep it a secret. Yeah. <laughs> Except yeah, for the exactly. secrets out. Yeah, and you can twist it. Like uh, in this video, I'm going to talk about the reasons you might not want to move here. Reason one is like, well, it does get pretty touristy in summer. You know, you can just go through like the, the somewhat negative things that people experience, but then you can keep looping in the positive too, and you can still spin it in a positive light. The negative bias videos get a lot of clicks and it attracts a lot of people to you. Um, like I know one girl in Toronto who made this video, don't move to Toronto, Ontario. And she got like 230,000 views at this point. And it's only like four months, five months old. Um, it's like that one video can change your life. It's kind of crazy. And that's, what's interesting about YouTube is one video can change your life. Yeah, that, that makes sense. So the, the reward is immense for the amount of effort it takes to create a video. It can be. It also can flop and not go anywhere. But that's why I always say consistency over time is the only way because you're some people get there sooner. Some people get there later. Usually it just takes one video to pop, hit the algorithm, get a lot of views. And then your other videos catch up and that video feeds your other videos. And so your channel starts feeding off each other. And there's a lot of factors that go into it. But generally speaking with my clients, what happens is they get that first video that doesn't get 20, 30, 40, 50 views. It gets like 1800 views or 2500 views, right? And then YouTube's like, oh, people like this video. Next video, I'm going to start showing that to more people. And then it does. And then it's like, if that catches on, then it's like, okay, now you got traction. And it takes a while. Um, like I have one client who's like so good on video and she just hasn't hit that traction point yet. She's going to, I know she will soon. And then I had one person who just hit it on their like second video and it can vary, but I usually say don't expect anything for six months. If you're going to invest in doing a YouTube channel, don't expect anything for six months. Be happy if something happens earlier, but you need to do it with the mindset of like, I'm going to create a video a week or every two weeks for six months without the expectation of getting anything from it. Oh, it's, I feel like that is the truth of everything worth investing into. Like if you go to the gym and you're expecting um, to just get jacked the very first time you show up in the gym, you know, I put in, I put in 45 minute effort. <laughs> it's like, where's my result? Well, the yeah. result is I got sore arms and my core hurts. And my legs are a bit painful the next day. Like uh, they did a really interesting study. Uh, they did it through uh, well, two studies, actually. One was through MIT and Google. And they took a look at um, what, uh, and I think this was through Stanford, because they were looking at what what is creating the healthiest habits for somebody to keep going to the gym to work out in. And they tried like three different things. One was like, a, like an incentivized model. One was a varied model. Um, and then one was sort of, Choose your own time, choose your own time model. And it turns out that if a person 
um, had a combination of a, like a varied model with choose your own time. That was the best for like long-term habit building because they were able, like they built flexibility into their, um, into their output. Uh, but there was another study, which was even more revealing, which showed that it, it you could tell how someone's success based on the very first workout they did. And you could predictively know whether or not they were going to keep going to work out. And it was one thing. Did they go into the gym? Like majority of people will go to the gym and they will look for the thing that they feel most comfortable with. And then they just kick themselves in the butt. Like this is like, think about it's January 3rd. They're, they're over the holidays. They want to work off. So they go and they find the Stairmaster. And they just put everything into the Stairmaster. And they feel great. They get off the Stairmaster. They do the job. And then like delayed onset muscle soreness kicks in. And they never show up again. Because they didn't have fun. They, it was just like, it, it wasn't worth it. But the person that goes to the gym and picks something that they, they really actually have fun doing. And maybe doesn't even work out that hard. They are the ones who stick with it forever and they are the ones that end up rising to the point where they're now doing marathons and all that other stuff because they just they found something that they enjoyed doing and they were having fun and with youtube it sounds like it's very similar where it's like you got to kind of get into this mode of i'm just gonna go to the gym i'm just gonna have fun with this i'm gonna play around and um the results will show over time like the results are inevitable as long as i keep going to the gym but i'll keep going to the gym as long as i'm having fun and, uh, and, and so there's, there's a, we almost have to like rewrite, write our brain reward mechanism from seeing the number of views as being having fun as it is just, am I, am I seeing progress? Am I getting, um, yeah. Am I, am I getting those, those videos created? Was I, did I get to meet somebody cool making that video? Maybe I'm in a new business. Learning to enjoy the, the journey and, uh, cause videos can be fun if you like in our program, we give them all the tools to make the video, the scripts, the process, everything, but then I'll watch all their videos and give them critical feedback. So that process is fun because they get like a mentor who's going to guide them through it. And when you're just soloing it, it can be tough. I'll add another one to that though, which is I, I completely agree. And I've spent a lot of time in the gym myself. Um, and one of the things I've battled in my life, life journey is when I was younger, I was actually overweight. So I actually had to, I actually had to overcome that towards the end of high school, leaving high school. And so I had to go through this journey for the first time of really getting committed to working out. Um, and one of the things I learned very early on is like, yes, you, it's, it's more likely you're going to stick to it if you enjoy it and it's fun, but it's also hugely dependent if it's convenient or not. So like if the gym is a 30 minute drive away, most people will never go. Um, so I developed this philosophy where like, I wasn't close to a gym. I tried going to the gym and I just never stuck to it because I was always driving there. So I just took up running. And so I developed this philosophy of like, just Eric, just put your shoes on, just put your shoes on. Just don't think about anything else. Just put your shoes on. Cause when you put your shoes on, you're not going to take them off. <laughs> and that really worked for me. And I ended up running every day and I got in the best shape of my life. And I've never let myself go back to that when I was younger. And so that's such a good hack to life in, in general, like figure out what you're already doing and mm -hmm. put, just put your shoes on. Like if you're going outside anyways, put your shoes on and then maybe you'll walk faster. <laughs> yeah. And every, every time I've looked at a place to live or something, I've always tried to be close to a gym because I usually get super committed to the gym and I'm very self-motivated. Like when I was living downtown Vancouver, my gym was across the street. Um, when I was in Burnaby, for example, my gym was like, it was like a four minute run. You know, it's like I, I, for me at least, I always need it to be convenient. And this is what I teach people about YouTube. 
is like set yourself up for success. If you look at me, I'm sitting in front of my, my camera right now, right? And so if you want to make videos, you need to like build yourself a setup so that you can walk into that setup and film. And you need to have a script that you can work from so that it is convenient to do it. And that it's never going to be convenient right away. But if you start obsessing over equipment and all these details, and every time you go to make a video, you're always like building your setup. You're just, it's not as convenient. You're not going to do it as often. So you need to build your setup and keep it simple, um, but have it be a place that you can walk into and record a video when you feel like it. Because at the end of the day, our energy levels fluctuate a lot. You might have a day where you're feeling down and you might have a day where you're feeling energetic. And like when you feel energetic and motivated, that's when you want to step in front of the camera because that energy is going to come off on camera. Yeah, totally. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I have, uh, I would even add to that. So I, a buddy of mine, Dan Martell, he's, he's like really, um, uh, he, he shared some things funny, which is, but so true though. He's like, people think I'm like this high energy person. Uh, the truth is he's like, I create my own energy. So like there's, there's days where, uh, like he was like doing like, I, I th- like forget why, maybe he was like flying through the night or whatever, but he basically, it was like, hadn't slept since 3am wakes up. He goes to this, uh, this event, he's doing the keynote speaking and he's like, I create my own energy. That was just like, as he was like playing in his head. So he just starts pumping himself up, he starts jumping, like literally standing in the back of the room, just jumping, pumping himself up. And when he gets on the stage, it was explosive. And you would never have known that he was going on like, you know, at 1% battery. And it's just like that mindset of I create my own energy. So sometimes it's just, you know, I think what it is, like what you're describing there um, almost reminds me of, yeah, it's like get in there get get comfortable get used to like reinforcing like okay i'm i'm in a really good place energy wise this is a good time to film and then eventually get into the place where you now have developed the muscle to actually create that whenever you get on the stage so to speak the the video totally and that's very tony robbins like that's uh i think he calls them incantations when you have like a very like it's almost like a message you tell yourself to get yourself kind of in, the, in a different energy or mindset mind state okay yeah i i haven't i haven't followed much of tony robbins i know that shocks people <laughs> some people we had a business partner who was like a student of his number one coach for five years so he taught me a bit about this stuff but he was one of those guys every time he steps on camera he's just like pumped like he's just so there Um, but it's because he does these incantations before and i think that's maybe what this guy was doing yeah that that it just makes sense right it just makes Mm -hmm. sense and and there's so much power in our mind so i'm going into youtube i'm starting this channel i've uh like you said i'm i'm looking at other people that i admire or maybe channels that are that are doing really well and i'm modeling off it are there any um like what what would be some uh, tactical ways that I could uh, help to increase the viewer count? Yeah, the probably the biggest tactical way is like set up your channel correctly. Like a lot of people will do this in a really lazy way. So just take the time to like add your description, your links, your, you know, basic stuff. But if you want to actually get tactical viewership, you need to follow proven scripts. This is one of the biggest mistakes I see our clients make is they just they just do their own thing. And I'm like, look, I've given you 14 scripts. Like, these are all good scripts. Like, don't, like, just go a different direction right out of the gate. Like, it's, you can do that, but one of our clients, Todd Barrett, he he was such a good example because he just followed the scripts to a T. And he just, like, he's like, I'm just going to do exactly what you tell me, exactly how you tell me, and then 
once he became good at making videos by following the structure and the script, then he started innovating. And some of his videos he's innovated on have gotten the, the most views because he's they're unique to his market. He's in Hawaii. So like, um, you know, he did a cool video on like property pitfalls in Hawaii. And it was like talking about lava zones and like things that people usually have never heard of. And that got a lot of engagement because it was like really unique. And but like all, <laughs> yeah, all the proven scripts, like the pros and cons type videos, the things I wish I knew before moving to or best neighborhoods in like these are all very easy to understand and digest topics. But they're also usually easy for the agent to speak about as well. Um, just write down a list of five pros, five cons and just talk about that. But use a structure like you need to have a really solid hook at the beginning of the video. You also need to have a good thumbnail and title combination to get people to even click on your video in the first place. Um, so you need, you need these basics down right. Like most people will make their title too long and not have the right keywords. And then they'll repeat that in their thumbnail and it'll be super wordy, but they don't realize that thumbnails show up really small on YouTube and you need to have like three or four words or less and have them be really big and bold. And you need the title and thumbnail to complement each other, not repeat each other. Um, and oh, so, for example, this Toronto video by her name is Rochelle. It was don't move to Toronto, Ontario, three exclamation points. And then her thumbnail was I can't stand Toronto. And it was like a sad face. And so that was a good example of like a complimentary title and um, uh, thumbnail. So you want to have that down. But you also want to make topics that are really broad, like like don't move to Toronto. Like, what's that all about? Like, tell me more about that. Or like, you know, what are the pros and cons of living in Kelowna or like things that are very widely digestible um, can generally get you a little more opportunity to have a big reach with your video. That, that, those are great, great tips. Now, if someone starts watching your video, how do you keep them engaged? Good question. So you have to have a really, first step is the title, getting them to click. Then it's getting them to stay. That's as simple as I can put it. The number one thing that YouTube algorithm looks for is viewer retention, which means what percentage of people click on your video and keep watching it, aka don't leave. So how do you do that? Well, you have to have a really good hook. And so a good, good hook would look something like, what's up, everybody? In this video, we're going to talk about the 10 reasons you may not want to move to Toronto. I've lived here for the last 27 years, so I'm very familiar with all of that. I'm also a licensed agent here, and I work with tons of clients who relocate from all over the place. So I hear the common things that they don't like when they move here and also some of the things that they do. So in this video, we're going to break down all of that for you. So make sure you stay tuned. So it's like you want to have like a hook that keeps their like they feel like they should stay because they're going to get a lot of value. If you're just like, hey, guys, my name's Eric. I'm a licensed realtor here. I've been selling real estate here for a long time. If you want to work with me and my team, you can call me or email me or book a call with me. And make sure you subscribe and like this video. And like a lot of people do that, right? And it's like, you haven't given me any reason to stay. It's like, call me, email me, like this video, subscribe, like comment. It's like they immediately go for the call to action. And I think call to actions are important in your videos for sure. But a lot of people overdo them or they don't do enough of them. And sometimes they make them too early on. Like you need to have a really strong hook. Like another thing you can do is like, and if you stay to the end of this video, I'm going to give you one big reason that you might not have thought of, of why you actually might want to move here or something like that. Like you can give them like a, Hey, if you stay to the end, you're going to get one secret. Right. Um, so really encouraging them to stay is a, is a good tactic. 
Yeah, that that all makes a lot of sense. Now, when you go to film these, do you just do one take? Good question. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, very, very important point actually is don't start stop your camera because at the end of the day, you shouldn't be editing your own videos. But even if you do, just it's easier if it's one clip. You don't want to take a bunch of files and clips and put them into your editor. Neither does your editor. Just make it one long file. And if you if you step away and grab water and come back, just leave your camera running. Um, talk to your editor in the in the video. If you film something and you don't like it, just film it again and do it again. And then tell your editor, you're like, can you use that last part? Just talk to them, right? They'll watch it and they'll, they'll use that last part. They'll cut it up and those cuts in the video don't make it look unnatural. If you watch my videos or any big YouTuber, you'll see those cuts very regularly. And so don't make multiple clips. Just film in one one big shot and redo things you didn't like. Um, unless you totally screw something up, you're like, I hate all that. Sure, you might be able to stop the camera restart, but um, just keep going. Yeah, that that uh, that's really practical. So if anyone out there has done like YouTube videos, you'll you'll know what that feels like. So if you you know you try to film yourself, or even if you're trying to film for Bomb Bomb or something, it's like the retake madness. Yeah. <laughs> it can kick in, and uh, like we'll, we'll see people post on the Insider Group on our Facebook group, and people will be like, "Wow, I did like 20 takes. Hope what do you guys think of this one?" And so what you're saying is, don't do that. Just do one take. And you're probably going to find that the longer you are doing that take, the more natural it's going to feel. And then, uh, yeah. and then that that's what the editor needs to get in front. Uh, mm. One of the things I've heard from people, although I think I'm hearing it less these days, is they're nervous about being on camera. I think Zoom has helped that a lot, uh, just because everybody's being getting used to it. But I did hear someone say this, and I thought it was good advice. It's like she said, "You're you are what you look like. You are what you sound like." And so. Um, when people see you on video, it's the same as if they're going to, like, they're going to meet you at the coffee shop anyways. They're going to be meeting you at the office anyways. You might as well give them an opportunity to meet you online. And it's the same person. And so that if there's that, like, fear of, of taking um, the video or getting out front, maybe you know it's the missing step for your business. Uh, just know that, like, you are normal and other people watching you are normal. And so you're going to, like, the good parts of you are going to come across on video. And so just do it and then see what happens. Yeah. And the, the truth is that's, that's so right because you're not going to, not everyone's going to like you and you have to be okay with that. Right. Like, like people, not everyone's going to watch your video and be like, I think this energy that this person's putting out is the energy I need in my, my agent or whatever you're selling. Uh, and that's okay. Like, you know, th there's room for more than you in the market and, there's room for people, some people to res. I, I always encourage my clients to show off your personality because that's how you're what you're going to do in person, anyways, and that's going to appeal to people in a way you may not anticipate. It's going to really appeal to certain people, and and usually what happens is people are really uptight for their first five videos and they don't show a lot of personality. And once they get comfortable, they kind of drop their shoulders and they're like they start making jokes and they do things on camera. I'm like I always say positive reinforcement. I always say do more of that, like show off your personality because. When people meet you in person, you're going to do that anyway. Yeah, and then you're cultivating you're cultivating your tribe. You're you're finding yeah. more people that you actually do want to attract in your business, and they're starting to follow you now on your channel. And then that's great because you want more people that you want to do business with. And the people that are being turned away, uh, you know, it's nice to have a filter up front. <laughs> totally.
Um, yeah, 100% it is. And like, that's why the, the leads you get from YouTube generally the best out of any anything anywhere because people generally have already decided at that point that they like you. Whereas pretty much any other lead source, even a referral, they haven't decided if they like you yet. They just have someone else's stamp of approval on you. But YouTube truly is the place where people will have decided if they like you before they talk to you. Have you ever worked with someone who's creating a YouTube channel and they're, they're creating videos and you can see that it's just not working? And how do you help them in that regard? It's not easy. Um, but one thing I have learned is some people really shock me at how good they are at it. And some people I think are going to be good or are just okay. But what one theme I have noticed is that everyone's capable of getting better over time. Some people more so than others, for sure. And it, it is tough to work with someone when like, you know, you really look at their like fourth or fifth video and they're not making a ton of progress. Although I very rarely see that. Like I work with a lot of people and I usually see people get to a point where I'm like, I start to see their videos and I'm like, I think people will watch this and it'll be a positive for you. And so I think just being very honest and it's tough sometimes when I'm like reviewing, you know, 12 videos in a session and like, you know, eight or nine of them are super good. And a couple of them I'm giving a lot more critical feedback to but I feel like that's my, my, my duty is to do that and be honest about it. I'm not going to pull the blanket over your eyes and say, this is great. Like send it out to everyone. I'll be like, I think you need to make some market improvements on these things. And they know that because they watch their video and they see other people's videos. So like they know that. Um, this is this is the power of working with with a coach, by the way, because you end up accelerating your impact and progress that you're having with the initiative in a huge way. Think about trying to learn gymnastics by yourself at home. Like it's not even possible, really, like unless you're you know, some crazy 16 year old kid who likes parkour and just like is willing to let like just, you know, for most people, it's just not possible. But here I've got two girls ages, uh, one's almost four, the other one's six. And they're both doing these like back spring things already. And it's just like mind boggling. But it's because they're working with a coach. And so the coach mm -hmm. is able to give them a direct feedback instantly and say, hey, the next time you do that, lower your shoulders. Hey, the next time you do that, brace your arms a bit stronger. Hold that straight. You know, it's just, um, it gives people the the feedback they need so they can have way more impact and see the progress a lot faster. Yeah, it's about, it's about becoming like consciously competent. I think a lot of people do, usually what I find is most people will do something well right out of the gate, but it could just be you come off very trustworthy. And that's like hard to teach. Like if I said, hey, Jonathan, I think you need to be more trustworthy on camera. That wouldn't really mean anything. But like when I say, hey, your energy is very inviting and trustworthy and you need to know that. So like I think it's important to really give the feedback around what something someone's doing uh, consciously or sorry, unconsciously, but something they're competent at. So it's about becoming consciously competent, like being conscious of the things you're doing well and the things you're not doing well. Um, to improve the things you're not doing well, but also being aware of the things you are unconsciously doing well so that you can keep doing those and not lose them. Yeah. So, so having descriptive feedback helps a lot. Something, cause it's like, you, you almost want to take something that's a, an intangible and say, okay, here's, here's a practical way. Like, like you described it earlier, drop your shoulders back. How does that feel? Does that mm -hmm. feel better? Yeah, it does feel better. So now try that, try that this time, like, or, um, you know, you're really inviting when you smile. Try smiling when you speak. How does that feel? Great. 
So it's like you're giving this more uh, tangible feedback versus, uh, <laughs> you know, maybe you came up a little guarded or whatever it was uh, that mm-hmm. was being uh, 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 said. So I think that's really wise and really good. If if someone's listening to this and they're thinking, okay, this this sounds really interesting to me. Now, I know you also do um, Google Ads, and maybe we could do a follow-up as well because we can dive into that. Uh, I think that would be an interesting topic for a lot of people. Uh, but if someone's uh, thinking about this and they're like, oh, I, would, I would like to do more on video, I really do feel like this is the right time. I agree with you. I think um, it's it's definitely not too late, but it's it's getting there. <laughs> like jump on, like I think people should be investing their time in this sooner than later. Um, how would they get a hold of you? Where do they find you? Yeah, so there's a few places. Uh, you can obviously check out my YouTube channel, which is just Eric B. Preston. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at Eric B. Preston or at Agent Launch uh, as our company. But really, what like if someone's looking to grow on video, like one of our big philosophies is like two things. One is we want to build assets in your business that you own. So we build everything in your business so you can move away from being dependent on you know Zillow and Realtor and things like that. Um, the second thing is like we focus on a more holistic approach to this because I don't like if I were to just coach someone on YouTube, that's fine, but you're probably not going to get anything from it for a while. Um, so what we do these days is a very much a more holistic approach to acquiring clients online because at the end of the day, that's what you're trying to do is you're trying to acquire clients online. So we do do uh, the Google ads build and management at a really high level. We set up their follow-up boss with their action plans that we've built. We set them up an internal communication program. We hire them remote talent. We train them. We coach them on video. We edit their videos. We build them brand assets for their videos, like literally transitions, like graph graphic loops and things that are really hard to do. Um, our editing team will actually do that for you for the six videos. So there's a lot we do. So like to work with Agent Launch, you got to, that's got to make sense. And it's not for everyone. Uh, we don't really piecemeal what we do per se, but the reason we don't do that is we we tend to focus on if you really want to acquire clients online, you've got to do a few things well. And most companies will not tell you that because they don't actually have the support to do a few things well. Um, but I think like that's really where we focus. So you can just go to agentlaunch.com, click on um, uh, the link there and apply to work with us. And you can book a, a strategy session and we can see if there's an opportunity to work together. Oh, that's so good. Well, I hope everybody takes this opportunity to reach out to you. And Eric, I just want to say such a pleasure. Really appreciate it. Um, and yeah, you you really do. You share a lot of really good actionable value. And I know on behalf of everybody who's listening, it's just that's really appreciated. So thank you so much. Um, yeah. Thanks for having me, man. Maybe till next time we'll do Google. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Let's go.